I'm feeling great. I yeah, yeah. I'm feeling great. Yeah, we had that snowstorm. Which, how did it affect you in the end? Because Jersey, y'all get a little deeper than Brooklyn. I'm t- I'm so over the winter. I'm ready for. Spring. <laughs> and we haven't even really had a winter. <laughs> and I'm still over it. Well, at least on the in the New York City tri-state area, we have it. I'm like the least ride or die. Everyone else who's in New York, I feel like they mess with winter. Like they're like, I like winter. I am always checking for summer and fall. Like I just go dormant in the winter. I have a th- is it like I don't want to call it seasonal depression, but well, that's winter is not my vibe. It's not your vibe. Okay, it's not my vibe. Okay, Which- I know everyone looks cute in their winter photos with the snow coming down on them and their cute little parkas. It's not my vibe. And you love a you love a, a picture. You I love a themed love a picture, photo. But the misery before and after. What do they say behind the likes? The misery before and after. I hate being cold. I don't think snow boots are cute. Okay, I commute. So unlike many Americans, I don't get to drive through the slush. I have to walk through the slush, as do you. I do. Yeah, I still have my Timberland you know on right I mean? now. Yeah, Salty everything. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's just, I don't know. Come on, spring. I'm ready for that reset. All right. Well, I'm Corey Murray. I'm Charlie Penn. And we are Yes Girl. Charlie Penn, who's on the on the, um, on the show? Y'all on the show today. I'm really hyped for this one. So Yolanda and I sat down with Killer Mike and his wife, Shayna. I was like, so, so yes. side note. I have so much FOMO because I love him. And when y'all, I, I don't even know what I was doing, but it was like, oh, I was in New Orleans. You missed it. I missed it. And I was just like, I cannot believe girl, I'm missing it. And I think I sent y'all like sad face emojis, like a million of them. so hype. Like, because Killer Mike just has such good energy. And if you guys don't know, Killer Mike has a new Netflix uh, special out. Uh, I think it's a six-part series. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Trigger Warning. With Killer Mike. With mm-hmm. Killer Mike. It is everything. You have to go check it out if you haven't already. He's basically doing a series of social experiments based on his, you know, we know he's known for his political views. Um, You know, some love it, some hate it. Yeah, I was going to say sometimes controversial. Sometimes controversial, but he rides, no matter what, he rides for black folks. And he's always trying to think of ways to make his community better. And his wife, he and his wife are entrepreneurs. Together they run barbershops in, you know, in the Atlanta area. And they are, I like to say, couplepreneurs. So they talk about mixing business with pleasure. They talk about also being allies in the fight for justice. And, you know, and just, you know, what the self-care it takes to work together and constantly be. And he's just, he's such a free thinker. Mm -hmm. You know, whether you agree or disagree, Corey, I think you're going to love what we talked to him about. Because he was just like, look, let's keep evolving. Let's keep thinking. I love when he's on political shows and they bring him in as a uh, a pundit. I I love it. I just love hearing him talk. And I also love he's always rocking that black t-shirt. Always. And he's just speaking truth. And, and I love and I, and I love his vibe. So I was definitely FOMO that you guys had. But I will listen and try not to be upset. Yeah, I, I mean, the knowledge. I don't think you will be. I think he, you know, I think we'll agree with a lot of what he said. One of the things that one of the episodes of the series, which really stuck with me, he tried to only buy locally. Like to only spend his money on U.S. Pro- U.S. On made black, products? No, black owned. Oh, black owned products. But oh. including his weed. His meat, <laughs> his fruit, like it had to come from a black owned butcher farm, all of that. And of course, it proved to be practically impossible. But the fact that, you know, he's thinking about a world like what if, mm-hmm. what if we could just buy black owned everything? I literally told him, I was like, I can't get to work if I don't spend money with the man. But that's me. Personally. That's real, though. But I mean, maybe that could change one day. Wasn't there a documentary years ago about a, a fan or, you know, I guess the 
the filmmakers are trying to do like only U.S. made products. Yeah, and how hard, hard it is. Yeah, but I love that he's always thinking about his community, and he loves the shit out of his wife. Can we just say that? You, lo- I love when like a couple is, and it was really cute because like he was doing a lot of the talking, of course, because that's what he does. Mm-hmm. But you, I don't know if y'all could see it like on camera. You'll have to go watch the video too. But like he just kept like trying to like stop and look at her and like nudge her like come on come on he really wanted her to share what he you know share her thoughts and her ideas like he wanted her to have her essence woman moment and Aww. i just thought that was really sweet and if you can't hear it go watch the video so you can see it because he kept being like babe 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 like you know like so because you know she was a little shy she had to warm up but it was so good it was so cute they are everything couple crush so yeah thank you for that but I have a little segue because now that you when you I'm, and I'm thinking about what you just said, he was trying to let her have her moment. Yes. Right. So we all know the Grammys happened earlier this Ooh, week. This is a good segue. <laughs> I see you, Corey. <laughs> what did you think, Charlie, as the love guru? Yes. What did you think about Offset and giving Cardi her moment? Corey, you mean when he crashed her onstage moment when she became the first solo woman to win Best Rap Album at the Grammy? Yes, I am talking about that moment. So, look, I'm going to be honest. Initially, I definitely felt like as soon as I saw him on stage, I was like, sir. And I likened, I told my husband, I said, if I won Journalist of the Year, would you give me a high five in the audience? And then, you know, give me a little high five and woo while I'm on stage? Or would you walk your ass up there with me? And he was like, of course I would. And that's what I'm saying. So in your mind, it's like such an odd, it was so odd. And then he like dropped an album or a teaser for an album. A teaser. And it was a something. clip of her giving birth Especially to culture. he basically just begged his way back to her good graces. And now you're going to share her biggest moment in music history. There will never be a photo of her holding that reward that doesn't have him behind it. So in so many ways, that bothers me. However, Cardi left Instagram this week mm-hmm. because I think the stress Yes. Of all of our, all of us and all of their business is really getting to be a lot for her. And yeah. that's saying something because Cardi loves Instagram. And also, so I, I feel a little I, bad. I, you, you guys have heard me say, you you all have heard me say this on the past. I, I really find Cardi B motivational. I, I really do. love her story. I, do. I love what she's talking about. I love how she delivers it because it's very much just from her heart. She's very yeah. authentic. So when I saw that clip where she's saying that, People were all rooting for her, but then all of a sudden when she wins, they're questioning her. Yeah. Well, the thing is, we were not, I don't think any, well, that shade I do not understand. Anyone that doesn't understand why Cardi deserved that award can have several seats. Yes. But the people who are dragging Offset, as much as it plagues us to see her still with this man when clearly she deserves better, y'all, that's her choice. It is her I choice. we gotta let it go. We gotta let her live. If that man makes her happy... And this makes her happy. She deserves happiness. Only thing I, when she said, you husband, come here or wherever. Um, I just hope that whatever, I hope he did right by her and apologizing. You think and so? there, I hope, you I hope would hope to get back to your point in her good graces, to have that moment yeah. for her. Because I'm telling you, I go back to that moment where he crashed and wanted to apologize. And the way she told him to get off that fucking stage. Oh, yeah. She clearly was in a better space last night, and I don't think it was about the the, the fact that she did just, to your point, had an epic win. But I, it seemed genuine, and then she was like, she wanted him there. She wanted him there, and but I agree with you. But <laughs> as much yeah. as it pains us, I mean, I'm I really hate to see you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I hate to see him up there, 
because that was all about her. It, it wasn't was. about them. Nope. They could have walked the carpet. Mm-hmm. They could have kissed on the carpet, which I think they did. And we, you know, we stand for Cardi, y'all. So I just want Cardi to be happy. And I hope she comes back to Instagram. Oh, I know. We miss you, What's Cardi. Come back to Instagram, please. Cardi. Do y'all think Cardi needed to take a mental health break from Instagram? Let us know. Let you, us know about that. Have you ever taken that. a full, like, I have a good friend, my good friend Lauren. She'll go on and off like it's nothing. Wow. Sometimes her page is there, sometimes it's gone. But that's her mental health routine. Well, what I do, because um, it was one of my challenges um, when I did the Om Noir uh, oh, yeah. challenge was to go, like, certain days you had to stay off Insta- off social media. And I realized how freeing it is. Because also, I mean, I and, you know, this is kind of common knowledge. A lot of, you realize how much you check your phone. Mm-hmm. You check your, I had long ago turned off my notifications Oh, uh, yeah, so that helped a lot, but still, I realized like, let me just communicate with my kid and you know, be in her life or or take time to read. And I think sometimes if you you as strong as we all can pretend to be, you can't lie to yourself. Mm-hmm. That's what my dad always likes to say. You can lie to everybody, but you can't lie to yourself. Mm-hmm. So Cardi may have been saying, "I don't care what y'all think," but obviously, it was bothering her. It was bothering her. So if she needed to take that break. Cardi, we see you. Take your break, and I hope you're somewhere enjoying that Grammy. Grammys, actually. Yeah. Grammys. It was a pretty black night at the Grammys. It was. It was, except for that Motown moment. Oh, God. You know what? I just, I need to know who greenlit that. You know what? What happened As someone there? who deals with White. talent a lot, yeah. I'm not making excuses for it, but I can kind of understand the thought process Please explain, Corey Murray. And that <laughs> I'm lost. Sometimes you need a name for Motown. I I'm not saying it was right. I'm not saying it was the right choice. Okay. But as I watched it, mm-hmm. I was like, J Lo dances. She gives a good show. Mm-hmm. Um, this is TV. It's a live TV, and we all know. And I think there's an article actually circulating now. Award shows have lost a lot of their steam. Yeah. So they're pulling tricks out of everywhere. True. She had that Vegas residency. So I guess she checked a lot of boxes except for the singing one and the the most. Where, where's the lie? Where's there the was lie? No, there, I'm, <laughs> I, I mean, we Y'all know I'm not, I don't want to complain anymore. I'm trying to, I'm stating a fact. I failed that challenge, but we'll talk later. Yeah, we'll talk later. Um, see, but here's my thing. The blackest thing J-Lo did recently was Day Diddy. And that was literally 15 20, how many years ago? Yeah. That was like right. the blackest thing I remember yeah. her doing mm-hmm. since. Mm-hmm. Name one. You and know what I'm saying? Was Ja Rule, bef- you know, the Ja Rule affiliation was that before? That was before Diddy. I think it was around the same time. So, or maybe the like, same time. The moment, yeah, the, but no. The duets yeah. with ja Rule and, and hey, J Lo had hits. She did. She did have hits. But like Fantasia was there. She was. She was right there on hand. I, I literally tweeted this and I swear I meant it. It's like she has a pot of collard greens and ham hocks. In her throat, just stewing at all times, ready to bless her vocals with soul. Why not just be like, I mean, it's since when did Fantasia not become big enough a name? Well, I, I again, I'm just wondering if they felt like, well, you already had you set up for Aretha. Okay, we can't have true. you like double dipping. All right. Although du- J-Lo um, kind of double dipped. She came out in that opening. Did she have to sexualize the performance, though? Motown was never about twerking and rolling mm-hmm. on a piano. Mm-hmm. I was so disappointed. I will say this. I am thankful that Smokey Robinson came out at the at the end of it. Me too. And they should have actually kept Alicia Keys on stage and let her a part of it. Yeah. Speaking of Alicia Keys, real quick, mm-hmm. I love that she's really sticking to the no makeup. True. 
I just she's really yeah that. yeah she's she was like I don't want to do this and I'm not yeah, doing it yeah I appreciate her authenticity on so many levels do you know how much courage it takes to be in front of that many HD cameras and that many lights and every you know that way they say how they say like if your hair is done and your face is beat doesn't matter what you wear yeah but she's working in reverse mm-hmm. she's like I gotta kill this outfit make sure that the green really good. did pop on her it, yeah, yeah it was yeah. a moment. So before we get into our conversation <laughs> with Killer Mike, I do want to just give a shout out to Lena Waithe because I watch Boomerang and I got to yeah. say, unequivocally, I love it. That's the news. The That's new the new BET. series. And what's really cute. And I love this because it's, it tells the story of Marcus and Angela Graham. So that was Eddie Murphy and, and Halle Berry's iconic couple, iconic couple. So in the future, they have a kid and their kid is named Simone Graham. Okay. And the actress name is Tatona Jackson. Cute girl. Love her. Love her look. Love her vibe. Love her energy. She's really great. She's definitely a one to watch actress. And then Jacqueline Boyer's son. Mm. Is, his, his character's name is Bryson. And that's, and that's played by Taquan Richmond. And apparently there's, they so of course they grew up together and they know each other and they have a sort of, um, what do you call that relationship where he, he clearly like loves her, but she's playing coy and she likes him. He's always loved her. He's always loved her. So there's, there's, there's definitely that chemistry there, but she clearly is about her business and living her life. She has a one night stand with Joey Badass, who I think is cute in this role. So what I'm curious. So, Charlie, I'm giving you homework. Yes. I want you to catch Boomerang on replay. Oh, I had plans on it, girl. You know, just grown woman problems. Because what I'm interested in is kind of like in the same vein of grown-ish. Like, I think we're going to get a peek into how these millennials, well, really Gen Xers, how they love in these days. Because millennials are changing the game for yes, relationships. They are. Yes, are they are. Like, who rules? Yeah. What? Hmm? Yeah. Hmm? What's that? Yeah. Mary, what? So, okay, shout out I'm to Lena and Halle Berry and I believe um, Ben Corey Jones, who I'm also so worked on Insecure, is working on this. It's super cute. I'm here for it. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Got an extra shout out. I would like to also shout out my boo, Lee Davenport, who I went to Spelman with. Amazing. From Chicago. And she's one of the writers on the show. Cute. We see you, Lee. All right, everyone. So get into this interview that Yolanda and I shared with Killer Mike and his wife. Let's do it. Oh, Yolanda, I'm so excited. You know, we've been dying to have these two come on the show. Yes. Killer Mike is here and his wife, Shay. Yay. Welcome. Thank you for coming on Yes Girl. I want to read a little bit. I love um, Killer Mike's um, Twitter bio. He calls himself a pan-Africanist, gangster rapper, civic leader, and activist. Love it. That's, that's, that's a, a mouthful. <laughs> that's a mouthful. And then he and Shay have a, a business in Atlanta. So we're going to talk about your entrepreneurship and being, you know, revolutionary black love. And Couplepreneurs, owners. as we like to call them. Couplepreneurs. Couplepreneurs. <laughs> <laughs> the thing. It's the thing. But also, we're all watching Trigger Warning on Netflix right Thank now. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, welcome. Tell us about, like, how it came about, how the show came about, and, like, the filming process and everything. Um, my friends who've known me since I was five tell my wife this has been your husband his whole life. You know what I mean? He <laughs> he questions inappropriately. He he um, challenges authority. He always says, "Why not?" So yeah. I've had the idea of why don't we legitimize black gangsterism? You know, basically my whole life. You know, I grew up 
um, in the city of Atlanta. So my whole life, I've only seen black politicians, black mayors, black schools, teachers. So I've seen all the good and bad blacks. So the numbers man was black. You know, some people saw him as an outlaw, but the numbers man owned stores in our community, did good in our community, the bootlegger did the same. And I would even argue even up through the crack era. Like the reason I owned a barbershop and went into legitimate business like real estate was because of one guy named um, Fat Steve who grew up in Charlie Lowe's neighborhood and brought his projects. I saw him take drug money and essentially build a legitimate empire out of it, you know, before he got arrested. So for me, you know, I, my, my thing about just being an entrepreneur in shops and all that was just like it was something that you were supposed to do or required to do. And I did everything every little black boy does and ran the streets, did wrong, got into Morehouse, did well. And with that said, I, never, I realized really early on I couldn't work for anyone. I was never going to be any good for a job. I wanted to be an entertainer, but that was not constant. So a businessman is something I've always wanted to be, and it just took finding the right person to partner with and my wife to help me understand what business really was and how to do it. So the best decision I made probably in my life was business decision and personal was marrying her. I love it. And then trigger warning is just, that's just who you are. We just Yeah, that's who I am. The yeah, cameras yeah. are just following you. Just, you. Do yeah, y'all just seeing me. Like, that's <laughs> that's, that's not even TV. That's me That's me wondering, like, well, why can't I go buy Godfather's Pizza, but I can't buy Drug Kingpin Sandwich? You know, trigger warning is, why can't I go see movies on Scarface, Al Capone, Whitey Bulger, Whitey Ford, but I don't see anything on Fast Steve or Bumpy Johnson or, you know. So my thing is with black people, and I sit down, I mentioned the numbers man earlier, is because black people have to learn to legitimize everything for profit. We're living in a capitalist system, and the people who are against you or the people who might even be with you, they're going to use every, sink, every resource at their means to advance their cause. And so when Malcolm said, by any means necessary to me, that meant Luther Campbell and the two live crew, too. So, you know, my thing was, why aren't we using these things? So one experiment was I took a bunch of Crips um, out of Atlanta and started a soda um, endeavor together, you know, because soda, right? Yeah. They need merch. They are. You and, know, you know, sodas has killed far more black people than Crips or Bloods. So you know, we never we never criticized Big Cola. So my thing was, let's sell Coke, the legal kind. I love it. And it goes into building an empire, which is something you all are trying to do together. I don't, I don't know if we try to build empires, we just try to take care of each other and not work for white folk. Yes. <laughs> a lot of people talk real ambitious, like I'm building an empire. No, I'm just trying to get $20 million and lead a country and hang out with my wife. And you know, what happens after that? I just know I love her and I don't want her to go on and work to anyone else. I don't want our children to have to look up to other people. So, you know, I just think there's an over romanticization sometimes if I'm building an empire, leaving them. Like, that's fine, but really, at the end of the day, I'm trying to live like my grandparents lived. Mm -hmm. Trying to live below my means, mm -hmm. trying to take care of my money, trying to value what my partner does. And we're just trying to live to get old and be comfortable. That flips everything that we're taught about, you know, even in hip-hop, about, like, you just build your money. Build, yeah, you know, fact. Like, Nothing wrong with that. Because I mean, yeah. <laughs> you make a million on me, you got to buy a million dollar house. Facts. Okay. Please say that again. Okay. Because well, people yeah, she taught <laughs> <laughs> so she said. Yeah. Quick, they have a million in my means, so it helps us. Um, I figure if we stay below what's I'm raised by my grandparents, and there's a certain humility that comes when you're raised by people that are born in the 1920s and the 1930s. The world is radically different. You know, I remember asking my grandmother, because my grandmother, was, they, their family was landowners. They were able to be educated. 
you know, they weren't rich, but land ownership is, 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 is wealth That's in tough, itself. Yeah. And, you know, my grandmother said, you know, they would get oranges and burlap sack underwear and stuff. And, you know, I just thought, man, that's the most horrible Christmas ever. Like, white Santa Claus hated us for real. And, you know, my grandfather looks over from across the room and me telling my grandma, I wouldn't want that for Christmas. He said, I didn't get nothing. I was like, why? He's like, because I had two sisters and I was the only boy. And that's when I started to understand that, you know, life we have is privileged. So, you know, you stay humble because, you know, you're where you come from. You know, we got sent to a, my side, we got sent to a farm in the summers to work. You know, her side of her father's family it's from Hilton Head, South Carolina. Like, they own their land they live on. So it, it comes with a certain humility, you know. And we've done all the crazy wild stuff. You know, we've made money, spent money, things of that nature. But I think our grandparents grounded both of us in just being financially responsible. There's an episode where you tell a little black boy, I'm, I'm You can't be president. You can't yes. be president. Yeah. Well, I need to understand why. Right? Why can't that little boy Because he's president? Canadian. He can be prime minister. Oh, he's Canadian. Yeah, See, I can't didn't be know. I didn't, yeah. Okay, so it he didn't just, okay. Like, as soon as I see that mic, I'm gonna get why you talking about where you can't be president. That's fine. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> so you he can be prime minister. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger can't be president. He's uh, an immigrant. True. You know? true. That is weird. His, his children could. Yeah. 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 I told him that too. Yeah. He just didn't make the edit. I did want to talk about how there was in the same episode how you talked you wanted people, you asked people what they want to do, and everyone said the music industry. Well, no, nah, the three black guys hit me. The three black guys. <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, Entertainment is America's biggest export. Maybe I mean everybody wants to be everybody wants to be in in, in it like yeah. you. I understand. But you you were kind of like he wasn't here for it. Have something else. It's not my job to encourage you. Yeah. It's my job to doubt you, so you can have something to be invigorated about to prove me wrong. And I just say that because on my experience, that's what works. Um, I remember telling Miss Ely I wanted to be a rapper, and her saying, "Michael, you're too intelligent. You should be a pilot." So at 15, I still wasn't a rapper, but I got an opportunity to learn how to fly planes and aviation mechanics, so I took it. You know, I remember telling my art teacher I wanted to go more house. I was more interested in more rapping and, you know, going to Morris Brown on um, art scholarship. You know, so I had to prove to Mr. Murray, who I still communicate with to this day, like I had to prove I could do it. So, And essentially what I was doing was proving to myself was allowing it to be a challenge. So it's not my job to encourage you. It's not my job to make you feel like it's going to be okay and can work because the world is tough. You know, so it's my job. You're in an unemployment office. You're here to, you know, to learn to get a job. It's not my job to to indulge your fantasy. You know, it's my job to say if you want to be a rapper, you're gonna do the same things I did. You're gonna sacrifice, work your butt off, have it not work for ten years before you finally become an overnight success. You know, so it's not my job. It's not my job. So <laughs> doubting is almost like a form of, of, of motivating and pushing. Well, it did it for me. Yeah, all I know is how to train fighters. How I was trained. Mm -hmm. Is that what you guys do with your kids? My children, oh man, I tell my kids all the kind of crazy stuff, but I encourage them too. You know what I mean? But I, yeah, I, I, you know, we, but we're firm with our children. I was actually soft, you know. Shana really had to encourage me to toughen up some, but you know, I, I think that's important that, that children understand. Is I want you to have dreams, I want you to aspire, but with that said, you have to learn to work. You have to get to work on time. You have to learn respect. You have to pick what you want to do or not. But you can't complain that people aren't supporting you if you aren't actively chasing. So we all heard you on The Breakfast Club last week. And funny enough, I was driving in the car with my kids. And uh, the part where you talked about um, just public school uh, versus uh, private school and how a lot of black parents think, I'm going to send my kids to private school because it's supposed yeah. to like help them get better in life and just be better people. 
and you were kind of pushing back on that around public school as well. Yeah, well, the conversation was not about public uh, versus private. It evolved into that. The conversation yeah. was about how do I send a confident black child into an environment with others who are not culturally like him and keep mm -hmm. that confidence. Now, I happen to have went to black public schools. I went to black public schools that were named for black educators and emancipators in the black neighborhood. So my entire existence up until I'd say I got to high school at 13 years old because high school started in eighth grade for us. Mm -hmm. I'd never seen a white student. I had seen a white, one white teacher. The white student was so poor shit, we felt sorry for him. You know, bought him Jordans and shit. You know, like, hey, beef it up. You over here with us. You can't, your swag can't be down. You know? But I say that to say, by the time that I got to college and met young men who were just getting around black people who had come from these private institutions, and Morehouse ain't giving no scholarships. You paid to go, right? Mm -hmm. You could have did that in reverse and sent your child to school with black children named for black people from kindergarten through eighth grade. And then you could have sent a competent 13-year-old out in the competitive school environment where they already knew who Mansa Musa was. They already knew, you know, who Ch Chaka Zulu was. They already knew that Kemet was black before it was called Egypt. They already knew that the transatlantic slave was not the beginning of their history, but the interruption of their history. So you're putting out a confident, competent student that's ready to compete. And Envy mistook that as me saying, you know, down with private schools and people in the floor. And I'm just saying, in my experience in the entertainment community, the people that I've seen send their children to private school still pay for college. Mm -hmm. If I send you to private school and I still pay for college, you have fucked up my investment. Mm -hmm. I say the same thing to my children. I'm Michael is going to go to private school year after next, right? Yeah. Year after next, she goes to private school. If I spend $100,000 over the next four years for her education and she does not scholarship in the college, she has wasted my money. It's just that simple. That doesn't mean I'm not going to help her. Doesn't mean That's I don't right. love her. But it just means, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I never thought of it like that. Right. That you should, if I'm putting you, I'm, I'm making you more competitive, Absolutely. so it should put you in a, in a yeah. higher echelon. And those scholarships rain yeah. down on you. What I think the answer, though, is less about us pretending we place this focus on education, because if we did, our children would be scholarshiping in. And all our heroes went to black universities, right? When you start talking about Martins and W.B. Du Bois, mm -hmm. Booker T's, all those people went. The question becomes for me, when are we going to start making that investment in our own Montessori schools, our own charter schools, our own public schools, and when are we going to direct the talent, both academic and academically, into historically black colleges and universities and trade schools? That's simple. Either we choose to do that or we continue being second-class citizens that are minority to majority, and then your school, and then your children get to that school, and then they're treated harshly, and then you got to deal with the psychosis of that. Mm -hmm. I'm just not willing to do that. Now, I went to Spelman, your sister's school, right, yeah, across, I went to Morehouse, the, yeah. right across the lane. Um, and I came from a mixed school, yeah. Melting Pot, they called it. It was like a classic example of that in New Jersey. Yeah. But my confidence didn't come until I got to Spelman for that reason. Yeah. So we were, you know, before we started taping, we were kind of going talking about that. And it is interesting to imagine how much confident your child, confidence your child would have if they were in an all-black pre-K, Montessori, elementary um, and, and a good school, because you were saying they were, you know, all black schools. Yeah, and my school was the National School Excellence at the time, Frederick Douglass was. Uh, caught, the car think about. Yeah, it is something that Because I got my confidence in college. I, I found out today that in 1907, Tuskegee University graduated more millionaires. People went on to become millionaires in Harvard or Yale. If you don't start to learn your history from one of a victorship or one of a winner, you start to accept the fact that somehow I've always been a loser or I'm always playing defense. That's not the truth. You know? Both of the communities we come up from, Yamacraw Village, the housing project in Savannah, where she's from, her grandmother literally had a shot house and worked in that project till she bought her own house at her next house and the next house. I bought her a 
her, her grandmother's first house back for her birthday. She's now a home and landowner, you know. So my thing is, we're supposed to be extending the dream that started over 100 years ago. And that's about black economics, black education, the taking care of one's black self and the larger black community. And if you're not doing that, I'm just not as open to a lot of the comments that you have and criticism of us because you're not participating, Tom, in bettering us. And speaking of that participation, the episode on the show where you try to live locally, yeah, um, spend all your money with Black-owned businesses, that is, it shouldn't be, but it's practically impossible, especially if you try to stick to all the things you would normally do. Like I marijuana smoking? Yeah, like smoking, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think I could come to work at Essence. If, if you I didn't smoke didn't marijuana? Do. Well, no. <laughs> That's another episode. If I didn't spend money on a non-black, like I have to get on the ferry, I have to get on the train, like I'd have to walk to Brooklyn. Now there's certain loopholes. You, know you pay saying? taxes, you could claim public transit. Oh, that's that's a loophole. Yeah, I mean, if I was a lawyer, I'd, I'd argue. That. <laughs> that, that I gotta get to work too, so yeah. I can pay those taxes. But I do think it would be nice to dream a dream, right, in a world where that becomes easier because more of us decide to be entrepreneurs. And like when you were just saying, going back to like starting our own uh, daycares, elementary school, monastery, we have to do that. Private schools, charter schools, we have to do that. But it's it's hard out here. My dad's always like, you got to be an entrepreneur. And I'm like, I like that steady check. We get spoiled by the steady paycheck. Yeah, That's the hard mentality to switch to if it's not in your nature. I remember, you remember I came to ask you to quit your job. I was How'd like, you, I just didn't want you working for those white people anymore. I, she don't listen to me. <laughs> so I know she's giving the white folks hell. I'm just like, it ain't no sense in doing this. We could, you could just take that beautiful mind and come work for us. And that's what, you know, we had, what, $70,000 in the bank or something when we bought our first car. Well, I didn't listen to you at first. Yeah. It was it long. hard for you to make that decision? Because, I mean, it's stability Girl, versus, you know, The first time out. the decision was made for me. So a corporation I was working for laid off about 1500 and we were already talking about me becoming the person he needs me to be in our business. So in... I like to have cushion before I just up and quit a job. So in the process of saving, they sent out letters like they, they getting rid of us. And I was so sad, like, you know, I was going to move up and make my money. And he like, nah. <laughs> this is what, you yeah, know, just don't know. Don't do on. that. That's good. Like we should be celebrating. You should leave that job. Well, we're taught to like, you know, get the job. Get the job. Right. It's, it's, a exactly. yeah. it's an accomplishment. We're taught to hold on to. I never bought In fact, to, up until the day his grandmother passed away, she thought I had a job. Like, yeah. you can't play with these old people. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's so hard on being the person to tell you, you know, give you doubt and tell you that you can't do it because, like, his grandmother, rap, that's it. So first of all, going into the job, part of the reason I was laid off is because I could never be on time. <laughs> so I'm. <laughs> I was waiting on that point. <laughs> so I was going to you tell a lie, say the truth. They keep the trail, baby. <laughs> so I could never 
on time. So clearly that's how I made the list of the people to let go of. And I'm not on time for my own business either. But I work hard when I do get there and I make up for it by working overtime. But I got but you fired from most hours. of my jobs. Yeah, I got fired from most of my jobs. So I knew that I, I, I being an entrepreneur was yeah, a long time ago <laughs> and I, I didn't listen. <laughs> the job I got after they laid me off, he teased me the whole time, called me during the interview, be like, why are you going to go work for those right people? You don't need no job. We need to be doing our own. And I'm like, I was so nervous in the interview. So they damn and just say, you know, please. please no, thanks, ma'am. <laughs> Good day to you. Good day, Miss Render. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So then how do you two sort of make business, being business owners and uh, a married couple work? Makes it business with pleasure. That's not easy. It's not easy. But we do it. Um, in fact, it's easier to do because we do it with love. You know, yeah. you sometimes you go through things and you want to stray away, and it's easier to do so if you don't. You're not emotionally connected to the person. So, us being married made it easier to have businesses together. Because even if the businesses wasn't working, we knew our marriage was going to work, and we had to keep, you know, focused on what was important: the marriage first, and then the business. So, we've been successful at both. Thank God. Neither right. one is easy. But we made it. <laughs> How long have you two known each other? Y'all have a, I can see the, the glue, the bond is there. Y'all go back. I feel like I've been knowing him all my life, honestly. Um, about 16 years. Gosh. You've been married 16 years. No. Nah, we've known each other. Oh, we've known each other 16 years. We were married a few 13 years in November. Oh, God. black love. I thought it was 10. I'm through. Yeah. Did you guys know right away that you would make a partnership? I actually partnership? married me the first two weeks. Of, yeah? Of, yeah. Well, the, I first met her, I was popping. And we was in Daytona. <laughs> I was hot. I'm fire hot, baby. Booyah, call booyah. And um, I, I, got, I was down at BET's, like, summer thing in Daytona. You know, black folks tanned up Daytona, man. We was having oh, a ball. And her friends saw me and was like, oh, Killer Mike. They were fans of the, the record was out at the time called Actions on Outcast on our label. Shouts out to Big and Dre. So I went and all her friends, they were, they, you know, the homegirls was cute and they was cool and whatnot. But I seen this one chick like at the end sitting down, like not recognizing my G. And I was like, yeah, I was like, what's up? I was like, she must be lame or blind. She don't see all this fly in front of her. So I went up to a plate and ate up. Shrimp off of it, and she decided I was just a pig. She didn't want to talk to me. I was rude. Girl, she blessed so me out, child. Yeah. You did not get that phone yeah. number, did you? I ain't, no. nah. <laughs> you did not go, you not stole some yeah. shrimp? No. But I saw it like, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. long time I have been waiting on my phone. Like, yeah, I, I didn't know at that time my wife was crazy. Like, you know what I'm saying? I didn't understand that something. She had a thing with restaurants and eating her food. I just nuts, child. We'll talk about that. But so that I. Good. I, I saw her a year later. A year later, I saw her at a, a private party at Big Boy's house and a radio friend of her. You know, radio guys try to keep pretty pretty girls around. My wife and this guy were really good friends. Bo, man. Bo, what's Bo's last name? Yeah, Bo Money. Bo Money's a great guy. He was an early supporter of mine. He just had talked good about me to her. She had, she had hated on me. He said, no, nah, you got to meet Killer Mike again. He's a nice guy. And at the party, she walks in with a girl I had been with before. Oh, uh-oh. That's you about to run up on strike. Like the night before. Oh. Yeah, and I was like, I was like, oh. I, my first thought was, oh my God, there's that beautiful girl. But from Florida, at first I noticed like she had beautiful eyes, she had red hair, which I'm suffering. And she had, I was like, yes. No. And then like, right. Side note, he had me in his phone as um, 
big titty girl. <laughs> <laughs> like, really Great titty, exactly. <laughs> and I saw like the girl I had just been with, just on some fun and though. I hadn't lied to the girl. We were just having fun at the club. And I was just like, oh, they're friends. Uh-oh. Oh, oh I, have, too. I have to lie now. So, <laughs> so I went literally and ducked off in the corner. And for the whole party, I just looked like a church boy. I looked like a square. So she developed a different opinion. So I thought that was good. Yeah. Because oh, he was on his back. Yeah. Oh. So she actually she said, <laughs> she asked me that. She says, this young lady says, you know her. And I was like, what? Nah. I'm <laughs> <laughs> but it's only because I just wanted to get to know her. Like, yeah. I finally admitted like a year or two ago. Like, yeah, you kept it real. Like eight, nine. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so how did he finally win you over? Big baby, because I knew I wanted to marry the first two weeks of her actually getting to know me. Literally. I heard men always do; they no. always know. No, look, no. I actually was in first. I had dated when I found out what apartment she lived in. I had dated a girl in the back apartment. I went to that girl like, look, I'm not gonna be able to see you anymore <laughs> because there's this girl at the front of your apartment, and I just I think I'm in love. And she looked at me like, how long you know? I was like a week maybe, but. I asked her to marry me you know, two weeks in, and she looked at me, and she said, she looked in the mirror, I'll never forget, and she looked at me through the mirror and said, what make you think I want to marry you? It crushed me. It killed me. I never, I mean, it hurt me. It hurt me to say it to this day. And then we spent the next two, three years just kind of dating each other, you know, being club buddies and her breaking my heart. Well, obviously your instincts were right. I love it. I love it. That's a good, cute, that's a cute, me, me cute. That's the truth. What's your side? This two did the his so side. First of all, I was telling the story. Did you notice that there was one girl that was to the party with? Yeah. Right? So yeah. then there's a whole another girl that lives in the apartment. Right. Did you catch that? So yes. That's three women. So he had a little roster at the time. <laughs> so he was, you know, he was I was trapped. I'm trying to win championships. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got the draft. Everybody yeah. don't make the I was lead. counting quietly over here. <laughs> yeah. but he was just playing, you know, yeah. just distributing. And that's all I was like, he's funny. <laughs> I do want to get serious uh, just quickly as we you know finish about we are taping on Trayvon Martin's birthday. He would have been 24 um, today. And just um, Killer Mike, I, I don't know. I mean, I always look at you. I'm like, he has the answers. Give us the answers. What should the black community do, Killer Mike? You know, just like and and thinking about how your father was a police officer, yeah. and then you know, but you you're very vocal about. My cousins are currently police officers. Yeah. My cousin on SWAT in Atlanta, and another cousin who's commander down East Point. Um, I don't personally, I don't personally believe people who don't look like me should police me, and be police in my community. I don't really believe in people who live outside of the community policing those communities. Period. So I'm not a big advocate, even if you're a black person. If you're a black person and you haven't grown up in circumstances like the policing, or you don't understand to get out your car. You shouldn't do it, which is why one reason I tip my hat to Tommy Norman, who's up in North Little Rock in Arkansas. He's a he's a policeman I helped bring the national. Um, I talked about him on CNN on Brooke Baldwin's show, but you know there, there's there's a nobility in policing, teaching, and being a fireman. And if you don't honor that nobility, you should not be it. You know, so I'm a firm believer in once a cop has one strike and it's violence or abusing the proletariat in any way, they should be gone. You know what I mean? But in matters of Trayvon, he's the same age my oldest son. Is and you know I, when I think about it I get angry you know I get angry you know I get angry um, in particular at Zimmerman I get angry at the courts and how they failed their parents but I'm angry at society for you know keep acting like these things are just happen to pop up or they're just once in a while we know that it is legitimately easier to kill black people in this country in particular black boys even since they're engaged by the police force. And at some point, as the proletariat, and not everyone, black people are going to have to make a firm stance that 
you know, it's more than just marching and hands up, and then we're going to have to do something for real. Now, I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's making sure police pensions can be attacked if they do that. I know I don't know if that that leads to you know. We have to change laws. Yeah, you know, or 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 we're going to have to punish the system, you know, and I mean absolutely punish them. Mm -hmm. And how do you punish a system? Dick Gregory was a proponent of not spending money on Christmas. Mm -hmm. If our children are dying, we're going to keep our dollar out of the bigger economy, and the bigger economy is going to suffer. Mm -hmm. We're going to find out who the prosecutors are, and we're going to vote them out of office, and the judges. And we're going to make them suffer. You can use this system to make people suffer that have bring suffering to you. Because I fear what's going to happen, if that doesn't happen, then what's going to happen is our people are going to become frustrated enough to become violent. Mm -hmm. And as a policeman, you have to think a lot of times when you're in the middle of an arrest, you're on the ground, you're back into the crowd. A lot of times it's as easy as slipping up right behind you and putting a bullet behind your ear. I have policemen in my family, and I don't want to see that happen. I wish to see policemen serve the community and a greater community like they should. So we're going to have to root out these bad apples because if not, you're going to turn the public against the police in a way that's hyper-violent, mm -hmm. in a way that nothing but bloodshed happens. And I don't want to see that. It's not effective yet either. So we have yeah, to find an absolutely. effective means. Well, the most effective means is in polishing your legislators, punishing your legislators. If you get hurt in a municipality because policemen are not fair, you should be attacking your politicians. And what I mean attacking is withdrawing your vote and increasing your boycott of something. There should be an economic response to these things, right? If you're not going to take to the streets and cause mass violence and riot and burn stuff down, you can quietly sit at home and not spend a dollar in the local economy. Mm -hmm. And once you start to do that, you're going to start to see things change. You know, Once you see votes coming up for who's going to be the next prosecutor, you can run. You can run people who are like-minded you know, like minded with you. If a mayor, I just heard Cory Booker um, this morning when asked by Charlemagne, what is your, do you have an agenda for black people? You did a wonderful job of curbing that question. If you can't answer that question, you can't get my vote. Mm -hmm. It's just that simple. And we have to become that determined. Mm -hmm. Because we're not that determined, you're going to wear, you're going to wear, you're going to allow an abusive boyfriend to come back. Because that's been our relationship with law enforcement. Like an abusive mother? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. With this country, period. And at some point, we're going to make a stand and be Tina Turner at the end of the movie. But we can't keep being Tina Turner at the beginning and the middle of the movie. You know, we cannot keep allowing this. So, mm -hmm. You know, my thing is what I would like to see of us do it lawfully but I'm telling America, if things don't start happening to the favor of black people in the working class, period, black or white, lawfully, you're going to eventually see violence. And I don't but okay, speaking to the frustrations, right? Because all of this is a pent up frustration and energy that, and for the oppression that we see and we face. I, I look at social media and, I, and the world and I see how divided we are. And you often speak about how we have to come find a way to come together and do this together. But it's so hard to come together when we're not together. Everything we're doing is on social media. Everything we're doing, we're not face to face. We're not really talking. We're typing. Our fingers are doing all the, you know, it's all. And I'm always like, how do we do that now in a world where we're not even looking at each other? How do we come together in a world where it's so much easier to just throw hate at somebody's comment section, you know, throw hate at someone's retweet or whatever, and not even make eye contact with people who are different than us in the streets, and then hold on and harbor all that anger? I say get out and meet people. Everyone should. We're not doing that. You know, I mean, but I can't help, you know, like my thing. And I just, I've, I've come to realize, you know, my grandfather, I used to tell him all the time, he used to argue, you know, you read the autobiography of Malcolm X, you think you're the next revolutionary. You know, like, Poppy, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you in an uproar? He just used to simply say to me, you know, our people not ready. Mm. You know, because when you're ready, you're going to organize, you're going to do it, you're going to get it done. You know what I mean? And if you're not ready, that's fine. But you can't keep acting ready and not be ready. It's not good enough to be angry on Twitter, angry on IG. 
Pride is not something that happens in February. It's an actionable thing. You have to do it every single day. You know, my wife hires contractors. She vets out three to four black contractors before she hires anyone. She tries her best to keep that dollar in our community. You have to be an active agent for change or you're just bullshitting. And if you're bullshitting, that's fine. Because it's easy to be mad on Twitter. You know, it's easy to be in a pet rally yelling for your team and we want them to win. And then after the game, it don't much matter to you. But if you're really on the ground level, if you're really like Amina Matthews, if you're really like Big U out in L.A., you know, if you're really about the Free Hoover Project, then it becomes something that consumes you. I've been an activist since I was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. I want to be an activist. I want to smoke weed, go to strip clubs, and kick it with my wife. Mm -hmm. But I'm compelled to do what's right Mm -hmm. because no one else will do it. Everyone else just on Twitter yelling at each other. You know, my wife, I remember a few years ago, well, she was just like, you know, we're not going to sit home on the holidays, buddy. We're going to do Jose's Feed the Homeless. I'm like, what you talking about? I did as a kid. She's like, nah, the family, we going out there. Mm-hmm. You know, she it was enough of her to say, I appreciate this and do well. But she was like, we could give money, but we need to be present. Mm-hmm. And since then, it's something we've continued to do. You know, so you got to be a doer and not just a talker or a typer. Because the boycotts didn't happen because people was at home writing about it in the newspaper. It's the true. boycotts <laughs> happened because people walked to and work. letters to each other. Oh my goodness! Thank you. You know we can talk to you too. Like forever. I was gonna say, y'all should probably talk to her. She's far more interesting than me. <laughs> I hope not. I hope you're talking. I'm gonna be quiet. <laughs> well, you didn't got well, all we, dusted you up. You have to come creep. back Shay, and give us like we'll have the one-on-one with you yes. and have a moment, ladies only. Yeah, What'd do that. Think? That would be nice. Yeah, yeah. I can just do hood rat shit with my ratchet friend. <laughs> <laughs> you are officially invited back for the Kiki. Okay. Mike, I do love how you talk about the, the gangster in the community because my mother was one of those people who used to always say to me, you got to have friends in high and low places. Yeah. You I always got to have that one friend. My mother that sold cocaine. I mean, Denise got caught buying 20 kilos of cocaine <laughs> when I was 15 years old. She also was a florist that owned her own business and artist, so it's like, I want people to understand, you know, on the black side, I, t- I met with a bank president two months ago. And he said, Michael, our community was stronger when not only working class and poor people took care of their finances, but when we also took care of each other in terms of the numbers man and the probation man. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get me to celebrate George John and get me to shame Rick Ross. Wait, what is the numbers man? You know. I'm sorry. Is my black card? The numbers, but before there was a state, <laughs> before there was a state lotto where uh. you could go play the number. Your grandmother would have these dream books. You may have seen dreams. Yeah. Airport and they tell you what means they, the they interpretation. T- yeah, yeah, those people would then take a three-sided number, and after the stock market failed, I don't know how they took it from the stock market, they would get whatever today's numbers was out of that. So what it was was the numbers man would have a network of 40, 50 people in the neighborhood mm-hmm. who would book numbers. So you come to my grandmother. You would book a number with her. You would give her a dollar. You say, I'm going to pay a dollar straight. I don't say if you play three two one. I want a dollar straight on three two one. Give me another dollar box. That means however it falls, you yeah. can fall one two three. You still get. Yeah, you just get two fifty instead of five hundred. So my grandmother and you know a bunch of her friends, they would do that. They policy with it. You have a number policy, policy with the number of man. If you hit, you got paid. If not, it just went into the circle. You know. So, so it was that like person, an independent lottery for black. Yeah, homes? yeah. Well, mm-hmm. it was where the lottery got huh. the idea from, and. So did these uh, your community was stronger when there was a numbers man or a liquors runner because all these marches weren't funded by bourgeoisie black people. You know, somebody had to fund these marches and rent these buses and get these people food. And oftentimes it was those people. You know, even even if you look at the crack era, these young men became business people. These young men were some of the first people who started record labels and clothing stores and things of that nature and brought us here. So I'm just saying in black people, man, even in Black History Month, celebrate all of you, you know. The same way you celebrate white gangsters and Mexican gangsters and South American gangsters, celebrate your own gangsters because they've actually brought something to your community. I knew Shawty Lowe when he was a drug dealer. 
because I was a drug dealer. You know, we were from rival neighborhoods and we had been friends. But that, if it had not been for him, you would not have seen the explosion of acts that came after him that now people call mumble rap. But you wouldn't have had D4L. You wouldn't have had um, the Lean With It Rock With It Was. You know, I mean, the um, Rockstar Was. You never would have had those groups because he took money and invested in a studio and let them record. You know what I mean? So he used to be celebrated and championed for that, you know, I believe. You know, if T.I. hadn't been a young man, you know, happy related to Messiah's oldest son, who was a father trapping with his new child, if he wouldn't have got inspired to say, let me take these experiences and put them on music, you wouldn't have trap music, which is now the biggest music in the world. You know what I mean? So for me, I just find positivity in everything I've done, the good and the bad. And I think as a community, we should be trying to focus on how to go to Bumpy Johnson Steakhouse versus Peter Luger. I don't have a problem with Peter Luger, but that should be a Bumpy Johnson Steakhouse. That should be an option for me to go to get great meat. You know, black folk know how to cook meat. That's why barbecue restaurants don't know about a business, you know? So I'm just saying that, like our friend who's Korean, Alice, you know, we have other friends. They, we go to Koreatown and eat when we're in LA, right? We go to other places, go to black neighborhoods too, but when we go there, I'm always inspired. Because in 1992, I remember when they were trying to burn Koreatown down. I remember those Koreans defending their side of town, and then when we go there, it's like a, it's more beautiful than other places in LA. We can do that. The Vietnamese community bounced back quicker in New Orleans than any other community, sleeping nine people to a floor saying we don't need a TV yet. We can do that. But you're gonna have to become so focused, so angry at the way you've been treated that you become determined to succeed no matter what. If you're not willing to do that, then you know you just accept your slavery how you accept it. But you know, for me, we, my wife and I have chosen, you know, the path of independence, and that's where we're gonna be. That's where we're gonna go. I, I can't, I can't play second and shucking and jiving for nobody any of that. So. You know, it's a harder role we pick, but this is the role we own together. I'm glad I have as a partner. I love it. And we need all types Thank of black love goals, y'all. We need to see all of that. <laughs> Thank you guys. Right, Thank, Thank you, you for doing. joining us. I'm going to sit her back by herself, too. Yes. <laughs>If you enjoyed this episode, which we hope you did, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Yes Girl, such as our conversations with Gabrielle Union, Angela Bassett, and Ian Levantan. Be sure to listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And also, if you're there, leave us a review, Spotify, Google Play, and anywhere you listen to your podcast. See you next week.